0: hello and welcome to switzer tv i'm peter switzer and tonight i have four ceos and one cfo of some of australia's best companies I recommend you watch these up and close personal chats between the CEOs of Coles, Coke, Domino's and Tyro and the CFO of BHP to work out if you want to be a buyer, a seller or a holder of these companies. Both BHP and Coles have seen their share prices spike since the low point of the coronavirus crash on March 23. And while I suspect they have upside, they do look like great buyers off any dips in the market. Domino's has gone sky high and we need a big drop to get in at a good price, but the company looks like it's got its act together and Tyra looks like a company that will rip when we get over the COVID-19 lockdown in Victoria and close borders nationally. Finally, my Switzer Report colleague Paul Rickard gives us his take on A2 Milk. Is it a buy or a sell? But first, let's catch up with Berman Invest Julia Lee to look at the companies that reported today and see which one she really likes following reporting season.
1: This episode was brought to you by WCM Investment Management, a California-based global equities manager with an outstanding long-term track record. This chart shows the significant outperformance of WCM's quality global growth strategy over the past one year, three years, five years, ten years, and since its inception. Investors can access the strategy via the ASX. With their choice of an exchange traded managed fund, WCMQ, or a listed investment company, WQG.
0: Well, joining us as she does each week is Julia Lee from Birmingham Invest. How are you, Julia?
2: Good. How are you doing, Pete?
0: Very good. So reporting season so far, Julia, what have been the standout companies that you've liked?
2: Well, um, our fund's been doing really well throughout reporting season. We're up almost 10% in the month to date so far. Knock on wood, we've still got about a a week to go. But if we have a look at where the growth has come from, it has been from the technology side of things. We have also seen our healthcare companies doing well. Um, So if we have a look at Helios, it should be something that continues to improve in terms of margins, sold its medical centres at a, a nice price, and it's also doing a lot of the COVID-19 testing, which has helped to cushion the impact of COVID-19 and the areas of imaging, um, which has slowed down a bit. So I'm liking Helios here, and it has started to, to run as well, and brokers are, are pretty positive on it as well. The other one is Hall Wales, one of the few real estate investment trusts, which managed to see a revaluation upwards of its properties. It has a yield of around about 7%, which is quite attractive, and it has very stable type of assets, things like Coles Distribution Centres, um, Telstra Exchange Towers, so things that aren't very easily um, replaced or uh, the, the tenants don't get out of the those leases very easily. So um, that's had a pretty stable income through this COVID-19 period and we continue to like it. I think that it's going to hit above $5 in the coming months um, and it's moving quite nicely towards that.
0: What about a company like Super Retail Group? A couple of weeks ago, everyone had sort of a positive view, but it didn't report all that well today.
2: Yeah, uh, Super Retail Group is one that we hold in held in the portfolio. We actually sold, uh, sold down our stake today. But we like the result and we also like the outlook for the company. The company came out with a pretty strong outlook. But I guess now I'm starting to have a look at those retailers that have been impacted positively by the COVID-19 period and asking myself, well, what are things going to look like when the stimulus starts to run off? So I've started to pull back on some of those discretionary names. So I'd be selling in things like just taking profits in things like Super Retail that has run relatively hard, Shaver Shop. And I guess the difference is things that you buy once versus things that you buy many times. Mm. And in terms of things that you buy many times like the grocery space, I'm still very positive and I still like Metcash, but in terms of the things that you buy once like hair clippers or things to do at home, I'm less positive in that area and starting to take profits. Okay
0: do you hold anything like fortescue have you been a a mining (laughs) i I know you like devolution evolution on the gold side but were you a fortescue fan
2: yeah absolutely a fortescue fan we don't hold it in our portfolio we hold mineral resources which hit a record high today Um, And mineral resources, we like it because of that iron ore story as well. Not only has uh, mineral resources been increasing production uh, quite rapidly, but it comes at a time when pricing has been extremely strong. And then add in that you have the mining services lever as well as potentially later on down the track, the lithium lever, which has been a bit of a drag this Mm -hmm. year, but um, should start to perform in the years ahead. So we like mineral resources. And also in that material space, we hold minerals, which has been performing well.
0: Okay. Now, on the subject of um, tech companies, you've been a fan of Afterpay. I think it hit $83 <laughs> today. It's chasing a business in Spain because well, it like it's got an agreement to do so. Um, I know, um, I think it was Morgan Stanley who had a $100 tag on Afterpay. Uh, are you a believer in the $100 story?
2: Well, we do hold out to pay in the portfolio. It's been doing very well. hit an all-time record high in terms of the market. I do agree that valuations are pretty crazy here. Mm. But as long as they're growing into new markets, I guess the the key is to have a look at the catalyst, which might drive it down. And really, if we have a look at these high PE ratio growth stocks, they're being driven by what's happening in the US and the NASDAQ. So watching that as a key indicator of sentiment. But a number of the stocks in our portfolio in the technology state Uh, Space reached all-time record highs today. We saw Afterpay, Apple, Next DC, all hitting all-time record highs on the market. Okay,
0: so what's the, I guess, the latest acquisition that you think has a lot of potential?
2: So I guess if we have a look at Afterpay, they came out to say that they're making an acquisition in Spain and that will allow it to uh, really accelerate its product into Europe, which is seen as the next area of growth, and it does make sense that while they have this momentum going, that they try and gain that first mover advantage and try and gain as much market share as possible. And I guess the key question when they're moving into these new markets is: Are we start seeing a structural shift, a generational shift, which prefers products like afterpay rather than credit cards? And I think the experience in Australia, as the U. and the U.S. has demonstrated that, so uh, I think we will see the same type of thing in Europe.
0: Okay, so let me ask this question one more time, but what have you acquired lately that you think you know, is, a, is a new addition to your farm that has a lot of potential upside?
2: Sure. Uh, well, something pretty boring, um, but Good. one of the, the great success stories on the market, we bought into CSL below $290 today, and that was just a pricing thing. We thought that it was way too cheap for the pipeline of products that it has in terms of research and development. And look, the main risk here is uh, the collection of plasma, especially in the US. Um, of course, lockdowns has impacted on the ability of people to be able to donate blood, um, but that remains a key risk in the current financial year but I think that flu vaccine sales will be very strong given the uh, northern hemisphere's experience with COVID-19 so flu sales should be very strong. Plasma collection is a key risk but I think pricing will be quite strong because demand for plasma is quite strong and unlike CSL's pipeline or products, especially uh, CSL 112 which is in phase three which has to do with uh, cleaning the plaque off your arteries
0: which is a very important thing for anyone who wants to avoid a heart attack or a stroke. Uh, Julia Lee, thanks for joining us on the
2: program. Thanks, Pete.
1: This episode was brought to you by WCM Investment Management, a California-based global equities manager with an outstanding long-term track record. This chart shows the significant outperformance of WCM's quality global growth strategy over the past one year, three years, five years, 10 years and since its inception investors can access the strategy via the asx with their choice of an exchange traded managed fund wcmq or a listed investment company wqg
0: That was Julia Lee. So now let's have a look at my chat with Tyros Robbie Cook. I'm an investor in this company, and the analysts at FN Arena think this company has 11.3% upside. I hope they're right. Robbie, thanks for joining us on Switzer TV.
3: Thanks, Peter. Thanks for having me on.
0: All right, mate. I feel sorry for you. You know, you you listed brilliantly in December. Everything was going fantastic, and then along came a bushfire of season, and then along came the coronavirus. Have you ever use the f word at any time between listing and and this
3: interview never Peter, never look you you've got to stay positive and you've got to deal the hand you're dealt, i suppose and look at you're right we went from the you know the highs of actually doing our ipo in december and it was a time when you know very few ipos got up so it was actually that was quite exhilarating and the team did a fantastic job and we did it in quite a fast period of time and you know, through the February half year results we were looking really strong you know we were growing 29% we were we were on track above track for our prospectus numbers and then as you say you know the bushfires came and and then covid came and the the, the really sad thing and all of this and we work as you know Peter you know, 99% of our our merchants are um SMEs you know and you know the impact that both those events had on our merchants was just absolutely gut-wrenching and and so look, we we really pivoted our approach um to doing what we could do to actually help the merchants um when our merchants and that all happen but um you've got to, got to say um credit to the government that the initiatives put in place and credit to the resilience of you know small business in australia the way some businesses have reinvented themselves is quite extraordinary
0: yeah i noticed that in the report today that the the trend for new south wales transaction values are up 13 percent but victoria is down 1.5 have you have you worked out in a sense where you might have been if victoria hadn't been forced into
3: uh, a stage four or level four restrictions yeah look, we it was it was quite interesting just to track um the the transaction volumes through that whole period and you now we we took the steps of putting a weekly update out to market and and the thing that, you know, was quite surprising for me was, you know, when we hit mid-March, obviously transaction values got really impacted and April got very, very ugly and we were sort of down. You know, we'd gone from growing 29% to going negative 38% in the book in, in, in April. The thing that was really quite amazing was when we got into to June and everything was tracking the right way, we were seeing, you know, we were getting back to 12 14% growth rates across the book. And, and then you know Melbourne hit the speed bump it did and it's really really tough for our, our merchants down there but Melbourne's about 23 percent of our total transaction value and so it does definitely with a with the lockdown stage four lockdown that puts a big drag on the business but if that hadn't happened I think we would have been you know we, we were sort of putting on two percent increases in transaction value on a weekly basis so we sort of got around the 40 and 15 percent mark so we would have just we, we probably would have been back to the run rate we were at in February by now if we hadn't done, hadn't had the. Okay. the, the
0: so, so, what's your um, position in the other states, like uh, the lock the lockdown state or the yeah. the closed border states, Queensland, South subs- yeah. Australia, WA,
3: Tassie? Queensland's been extraordinary to watch. I mean, Queensland's our third biggest market, it's around about twenty percent of the book, and the performance in Queensland's been very strong. So we're growing, yeah, you know, we're growing well. Um, leading into the COVID period but Queensland really held up well um, to the extent that we've got you know, we're around the, the mid teens sort of mark um, in, in the Queensland market so okay. the, the lockdown's been effective here but um, you know it, it was one of those it was a tough call and i got to say I was on the fence about you know when in June with the lockdown because I was thinking a lot of our hospitality and tourism operators in Queensland were suffering by not having the cross-border traffic, um, and look, I'm a Queenslander, beater, so I've sort of um, got a bit of passion for the market here and um, I'm up in, up in Queensland at the moment. So I think you know, in hindsight, it was an actual a strong call by the Queensland government actually to keep the border, to, to mm. keep the border shut as long as they did. Um, they reopened it for a couple of weeks and then shut it down again, obviously. So I think that actually worked well for the Queensland market.
1: Mm.
0: How many customers do you have right now how many? How, how many do you think you can grow, despite all the challenges you've got over this financial
3: year? Yeah, look, we've got about thirty, just under thirty-three thousand merchants that work with us, or so on the thirty-three thousand mark, pretty much. So, and as I sort of said, we were growing. We were growing strongly. Merchant numbers before um, before COVID hit, we were growing sort of in the the high sort of tens mark. Um, we. We've been very focused on three verticals: so health, hospitality, and retail. And that's really been the sweet spot for Taro for quite some time. Um, we've got round about. If you look at the SME market in those three verticals, which is people transacting between fifty thousand in transaction value and five million, we've got around about ten um, percent share in in that space. We think. Yeah, you know, we've always thought we can probably double our penetration. Um, in, that, in just those three verticals, and then for us, it's looking at what other verticals can we specialise in, and bring the attributes that Toro has to, to new verticals. So we, we see a really good runway. We don't, you know Covid's obviously put a bit of a, um, a a dent in the in the trajectory, but we will come back through this, and very confident with our approach that we'll we'll go back to the run rate we've seen, and we've got a good good um, future ahead of us
0: will you be helped by the fact that the coronavirus has made people use their cards more and cash is gonna become less popular?
3: I think that's definitely a trend and we've seen it with debit card transactions. They've, They've increased and ATM transactions have decreased. I think that behavior is here to stay. I think it'll become entrenched that people will be more inclined to use debit cards, which is good for our business. The other big change we've seen, and we invested in a business called Me & You, which is a, you might have seen it, it's a order and pay at table solution, which a lot of bars and bigger venues are looking to implement because it gets rid of that counter crush. You can actually sit at your table, you can um, tap your phone, you can order your beer or your glass of wine, you pay for it in the device and the, the wait staff will bring it to your table. So that technology has probably had a, a two-year leapfrog in in uptake, just because venues are all of a sudden looking for that solution. So we're an investor in that business, but we're also um, will be the payment provider in that business as well. So when people pay, they pay me up and it's our solution which sits in that sits in that device. So we can see um, payments evolving and we want to make sure we're in that change process. And that for us, it's all about being an expert in the payment space and having solutions that are right for the verticals we operate in. Hospitality is a great example with, with the new product.
0: Uh, what about cross-selling? You've, you've got, as you say, about thirty-three thousand, primarily SMEs, I guess. Um, uh, the, and you're you're a bank as well, which a lot of people forget. Uh, what's what's your potential for cross-selling then? Yeah,
3: and look, we're, people, um, we're, we're, we've got a full banking license, which a lot of people. Um, don't appreciate so we are a bank um we're a bank though in a different way we're not about trying to fully bank the sme Uh, so we're not a neo bank in the sense that a lot of people throw that term around we see our banking license as being an asset we can use and it it facilitates our payment solution so that's why we've got the license to start with but by being a bank we also can offer um, deposit accounts obviously to our merchant cohort so that's something where we've got a we've got a Tyro bank account, which is a fee-free interest bearing account, which is used as a transaction account by a lot of our merchants. Whereas if they had that transaction account with a traditional bank, they'd, have, they'd be charged fees, they'd get no interest. So that's a point of differentiation. And we've got ambitions to make that a very feature rich um, banking product. And so that's a great thing to have. And so it's different to what's out there in the offer. And then we also have um, a product called Merchant Cash Advance, which you have to be a merchant with Tyro but it's effectively an unsecured um, line of credit in a way. So a merchant has a history with us. Uh, we, we've done our analysis about their transaction volumes and off the back of that, we'll offer a unsecured loan, which can be taken up in the app, in the Taro app. The merchant decides how much they want to draw down of that loan and t- determine how much of their daily settlements they want to um, pay the loan back. So like 10%, 15% clicked every day. And we quote a fixed price for that loan, and then it just cycles with cash flow. So it's a really innovative product. It's not um, available from any other banks, and so we can see products like that, which we can provide round our payments solution. And it just makes our ecosystem more fulsome. Um, it provides more value to our merchants, and, and it keeps stickiness and loyalty with the client base.
0: Okay, so you made the point earlier that you're strong with hospitality retail in particular, but has, has this threat of the coronavirus and the fact that your potential growth has been impeded, does it mean that you're, you're starting to look at maybe other industry areas where you you might not have looked before as a consequence of well it's, it's, the runs are a lot harder in your traditional area, So where where else might there be some easy runs?
3: Yeah, probably not as a result of COVID, but pre-COVID we were definitely looking to add two new verticals into the mix. So we health, hospitality and retail were at core. And then we were looking to go into the services vertical. So we're thinking particularly in that area of um, professional services. So I think accountants and lawyers, uh, we're thinking the trades area. So plumbers, electricians, gardeners, landscapers, that space. That's an area we are thinking about and looking at. The the other piece we were quite keen on um, is the accommodation space. Um, Clearly with what's happened, And we were in the early stages of looking at that space clearly with what happened um, with COVID, um, you know, that's sort of put that ambition on the um, back foot a little bit, but we will be looking at accommodation um, in the next hopefully six months, 12 months when the world gets back to normal as an extra vertical. Okay.
0: Robbie, is there anything else you think that anyone who is currently an investor or is mulling over the idea whether they should give you a go? Is there anything, any better question I should have asked you?
3: I think they were great questions. I think, um, you know, I think the thing I'd say about Tyro where we're different to the, the major banks is we're, we're specialists in payments. And I think it's a space that needs that specialization. And we're trying to do things differently and just stay very focused on you know, great service, fast processing, reliability and innovation in those verticals. And so anybody who's got a bit of a fascination about this space or an interest in it, you know, have a read at the uh, at our annual report have a look at the prospectus we put out in December. It'll give you a bit of an idea of where things are.
0: And, I, and I, it's nice to know you haven't been swearing as uh, bad luck came your way. But I bet you you are praying that normalcy returns to the hospitality and retail sector, ASAP. I'm
3: an optimist, Peter, so I'm sure that will happen.
0: That was Robbie Cook of Tyro. Now let's go to the CEO of Coal, Steve Kane. The company's share price has spiked, and I don't hold any Coal shares, but the CEO has confidence in his operations' future. I think you might be right. Well, Steve, a nice result. Uh, you've had um, a, a, an interesting period with the coronavirus. I guess there are a couple of key questions that shareholders or potential shareholders care about Is one, how, how important has the coronavirus effect been to the the results yeah.
4: of so that- well, what, what, what we announced earlier in the year was that sales in Christmas were going very well for us as we implemented our strategy, and that continued through the rest of the summer until Covid struck. And then we saw those panic buying scenes both in supermarkets and liquor. What we also saw is reduced volumes uh, in the, in the uh, uh, petrol forecourts um, as people stayed off the, off the roads. The other implication for the business was of course much bigger cost because we invested heavily in things like health and safety and so on. And what we've announced in the new year is that sales continue to be elevated in supermarkets and the liquor stores, but we've got about an extra $100 million a quarter in additional costs that mainly relate to health and safety for our team members and customers.
0: Mm. So you you had the bushfires, you had floods, coronavirus, did you think to yourself, "Gee, i got myself an <laughs> easier yeah, job"? Yeah. Well, here? in
4: some ways, I've got uh, one of uh, one of the easier jobs, and um, because I, I, I work with 120,000 fantastic team members who are trying to do the right thing for. Uh, Cole's customers and they've just been absolutely outstanding, whether that be in the DCs, whether it be on the uh, front line in stores, or whether it be my colleagues uh, here in the Stort Support Centre, who've had to transform their lives like you, into working from uh, home uh, a lot more often.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. Now Steve, um, as we are short of time, I'll cut to probably the most important question for my uh, viewers and listeners and that is, you know, um, about a little bit over a year ago, um, uh, my colleague Paul Rickard, who's a very good uh, uh, analyst, thought that you're a good buying around $11. Once you got the 12 or 13, you know, too high, too high. You crept to $14, obviously, good good efforts. And then uh, after coronavirus, you've gone into the $18 mark. And I guess people were wondering, you know, what can you do to keep the performance of the company is so elevated that it justifies a share price like that. And I know you're a CEO who, who won't want to talk about the share price, but your performance is linked to that share price. So we need to know what you're going to do to keep this company of yours flying so high.
4: Yeah, it's a great question. And I can't speculate uh, on uh, where share prices might go. I'm not a financial advisor. (laughs) But um, what I I can tell you about is what we're doing in the company. And we're going to continue to develop uh, new products that inspire customers. We're going to continue to take cost out of the business. We took $250 million out last year. We plan to do the same. Uh, this year and we want to keep uh, our team members healthy and engaged and we want to sort of support our local communities and that's what we've tried to do with organizations like second bite and food bank as well where we've uh, donated significant amount of foods to make sure that those in need uh, don't go uh, don't go hungry as well so all those things plus a very strong balance sheet we're in better shape uh now than we were 18 months ago with a very solid balance sheet as opportunities arrive uh, arise going forward we will be in a strong position to uh, take advantage of them.
0: Okay. And and what about the the migration of so many of your customers now to to the online world? Is that going to embed some kind of future profitability and lower costs as a consequence of the coronavirus changing the way we buy and shop?
4: There's no doubt that COVID has changed the way people behave. Um, Both whether it's what they buy, what they cook, what they look at um, digitally, Uh, they're looking at more uh, recipes online, Uh, they're doing more online shopping both in the discretionary and non-discretionary space, Uh, we're in an, an advantaged position if you like that we did a deal with Ocado which is in our opinion the best home shopping company in the world. That's coming to Australia in three years time. It's got a wider range. It's got a better efficiency. uh, It's better availability. We're very excited about that coming. And then what we announced last week as well is that we're investing in Coles & Co, which is our new digital channel, which eventually will replace the uh, catalogs that have been uh, delivered to people's doors for decades. And we think it will be a better way of enjoying the Coles value experience and more live uh, video content as well.
0: Okay, mate. Well, uh, thanks for joining us and uh, I I kept my fingers crossed. A lot of our um, shareholders do hold Coles um, shares and up to you to keep keep that share price nice and high, mate.
4: Thank you. Good to see you.
0: That was Steve Kane of Coles and my next guest is Don May of Domino's. I think his share price is really elevated, but he's done very well considering all the challenges. The analysts think the company is 20% overpriced. I like the company, but I don't like the share price. I'd be a buyer on any really decent dip. Well, a company that's done well out of this terrible period affected by the coronavirus is Domino's and to talk to, about how the company's going, we have the CEO, the group CEO, uh, Don May. Don, great to see you.
5: Thank you, Peter. Great to see you as well.
0: All right. So if, if I get run through a quick summary, record profits, revenue $1.9 billion. Is that the best you've done in revenue before?
5: It is. Yeah, it was up 33%. Um, in fairness, some of that is because we had a higher weight of corporate stores where we get the pure revenue. And in Australia, we've changed our distribution system where we now buy all the food just to get rid of uh, another piece of the process that, you know, could be more efficient. Yeah. And, uh, and so buying all the food means we're booking that as a full revenue as well, rather than just getting a rebate or something like that.
0: And what's the net profit look like? Is there a record net profit?
5: It was a net record net profit. Um, it's not the most stellar number of all numbers to be talking about, but it was up 3.3%. Um, and um, it, you know, what was important in that though was that we, we put a lot of support into our system in the, in the early months there of, of COVID. And, uh, and so, yeah, and we're very proud of that actually that we stood by a franchisees, no lost franchisees through this whole period of nearly 2,700 stores that we had.
0: And I presume there must've been a big uh, increase in costs it's just for the, the COVID-19 safety measures.
5: Yeah, so we put out more than 15 million pieces of PPE as a system, um, much of it donated by ourselves. You know, at the speed we needed to move at, there wasn't a point where we said we're going to have a conversation. We needed perspex screens up, we were going to pay for them. If we needed masks, we were going to donate them. If, if very, very early on. If we wanted uh, uh sanitiser mounted in our foyers, we were just going to bring it into our stores and donate it. So we did those sort of things early on. And, um, you know, first and foremost, keep our people safe and our customers safe.
0: Okay. Now, Don, even though it's, you know, it's fantastic and as a, as a country we're cheering your brilliant performance, we really only care about the share price. So, and I know you, you don't want to talk about the share price because you can't influence the share price, but the share price often reflects a market view about the company. And so in August 2016 uh, to February 2018, the, the share market basically said, Domino's stank or stunk or stinks. And, uh, But now the market says you're a great company and the share price actually reflects it. What went on over that period, August August 2016 to February 2018, that the market didn't like? And then I'm going to ask you, have you fixed
5: that? Yeah, I think there was a lot of themes that, um, you know, we think many of them were inaccurate and time proved that they were. Um, Things like there was a fear that the aggregators were going to actually, you know, there was a theory that Domino's was exclusive in the pizza or in the delivery market and then the aggregators came along. And And what uh, most people missed is that this is actually the age of delivery and aggregators are a piece of the pie. And in fact, it's a tailwind for us. And you can see it year after year, double digit, double digit. This year, 21% growth in online. You know, it's a you know, $2.3 billion online business now, one of the biggest in Australia. And, uh, and so, you know, we needed to show time under that. And we understand that these things that come into the market, they're based in theories, which look quite obvious. Um, another uh, big one was that, you know, we were in nine countries. Um, you know, it seemed that every year we would have one of the markets would underperform. For example, Japan three years ago was underperforming and shareholders would say to me, gee, Don, why did you buy Japan? It's a low frequency pizza market. Will I even buy pizza? Hmm. Well, what a stellar business Japan is right now. I mean, it's it's just been extraordinary, the growth and same as Germany, you know, Germany, when we first bought Germany, the uh, the, the previous owners had lost multi, multi millions of pounds. And today, Germany and Japan are our two biggest businesses. So these are questions that needed time in the market to be sorted through. And and I think nearly, and there were various other themes. And I think are, 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 oh, one of the big ones, franchisee profitability. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, uh, and I think, yeah, franchisee profitability at records right now. So fair criticism to these themes to be worked through the business. You know, I think we got a bit of a speeding fine in 2016 um, that we've just gone from back to back to back. And then these themes hit us. And, uh, and I think we've now shown the market that. Okay.
0: that- let me, so let me simplify it. So when your share price was killing them, you were actually showing the world how to do delivery and and, and cash in on that market. Then along came companies like Deliveroo and Uber and whatever. So the the market, in a sense, thought they're going to eat your lunch effectively. And don't excuse the pun because it's a great pun. All right, so so what you've effectively shown is that you can actually uh, still compete. So to me, it's a bit like the attitude towards JB Hi-Fi when Amazon came along. The market anticipated Amazon would, would kill JB Hi-Fi and they proved prove the market wrong. So in a sense, what you're saying is it was a, a legitimate looking threat, but you were able to cope with it and actually grow through it.
5: Yeah, and I think one of the things people misunderstood is that aggregators are, in our view, just like a giant search engine. So we we can grow our business through television or print the old media. We have our owned media, so our own platforms create business because we're able to you know, present ourselves out. And then the third area is what we call our frenemies. Now frenemies are are great companies that we love to work with like your Google platforms, um, your social media platforms like, you know, Line or Instagram and Facebook. And we call them frenemies because whilst we go and acquire customers in those platforms, those platforms also get our data, which is very quite unique. And an aggregator is very similar. See, what we won't give away at Domino's is that even if we go and acquire an order through an aggregator, Domino's will deliver it. And that's quite unique. You see, in this world of retail, uh, the, the, the retailer should own its product, its service and its image. And we're obsessed with that. Many of, many of our competitors and many of the industry give those things away when they exclusively live in aggregators. And, yep. and that's not something Domino's prepared to do. And that's why we've done so well. Okay. So m- my
0: analysis of, of the, the share price and what was happening in the company, showed that even before the coronavirus, you guys were on an uptrend, things were heading in the right direction. But since the coronavirus, with a lot of people locked up at home, um, uh, and you know, probably not having the best food choices, though I guess you'd argue with that, that Domino's is the right food choice. The bottom line is, there's a lot more pizza eating right around the world, and so part of your uplift in share price has to be this uplift from coronavirus. How do you manage The eventual time, I hope, when people leave the home and go back to the offices and uh, are are buying less Domino pizza. How are you going to deal with that?
5: Yeah, and and firstly, we all can't wait for that time either. You know, no one's wishing this on the world. I think there's a couple of things there. Actually, the pizza category isn't actually growing right now. It's chain pizza inside that category. So that's an important differentiator. So by and large, um, food um, retail is down materially. Um, but people can't just sit at home um, and cook every single meal. They do want to treat themselves. Domino's is an affordable treat. It's a safe, affordable treat because the only hands that will touch your pizza after it's been baked through our 260 degrees Celsius ovens are your own. Mm. So we provided a safe, affordable um, treat. And, and that's been really, really important. And what, what, once again, I think this is what's misunderstood. Everything that has accelerated during COVID was already there digital delivery was already the biggest boom people weren't eating more food they were just leaving restaurants they were leaving you know and they were the new convenience was digital delivery what COVID has done is it's brought that forward approximately three years so the, the macro trend that already exists is just now being accelerated significantly so when we look at the other side you can imagine now we're getting all of this customer relationship for as big as we are, and people think we're a lot bigger than we really are, we're still, by the way, the fifth biggest fast food in Australia. So there's fast food companies that are four and a half times bigger than we are, and Australians weren't. We're not naturally born to eat more fried chicken or hamburgers. we that's not in our DNA or our culture. That hey, we're a fried chicken culture, and and therefore pizza um, can get a much bigger place. And globally, it has it, you know it's
0: such a big opportunity. Okay, so it seems to me that the the one thing you've been able to do during the coronavirus period is probably introduce pizza to people who weren't generally pizza eaters. I'm thinking about the Japanese people who were locked up in their apartments for a long time because of the coronavirus, and they would have tried it. and And I guess hopefully your your view is that they will a, a, at least occasionally uh, buy it when once upon a time they wouldn't. And I, and I, I guess my, my key question is, just if people look at your improved share price and think, let's get in now, or is it too late? What would you say to someone who would say, gee, well, they look like they got their act together, but how are they gonna move that share price higher over the next year or so? Because you know yourself, historically, you guys have done brilliantly well, then something goes wrong, go down a bit, and you come back again. People might be thinking, are we going into the phase where the share price comes off the boil? What are you, you know, gonna do, Don, Don, to change
5: that? Yeah, I think what's really important is we are living with COVID. So whilst we're very confident in our system, we do have to be realistic that, you know, we we, we sit with advisors and one of the least likely countries to get another hour outburst in uh, coronavirus was New Zealand and Australia. And guess what? We now have a lockdown Melbourne and a lockdown Auckland. Um, And some of the most likely places are Europe. Well, there are rising cases in Europe right now. So the first thing I would say to shareholders is get ready for a little bit of a bumpy ride there because we are living with COVID and in a lockdown, yes, Domino's will deliver and will be resilient, but that still will put a bit of a headwind on the business. However, we do know pre-COVID, lockdowns and post-COVID lockdowns it is the right environment for Domino's. and you know we, the digital platforms their delivery performance we are getting a lot of new customers and then because we've been doing such a good job with the product and the service and the image that we own those customers are saying wow i didn't realize that was Domino's. i thought that was a fast food company that they had this perception of well wow, they really do have premium pizzas they do have a vegan menu they are gluten free and uh, and we're very good at getting people to return again as we earn that customer so right. It's a long game if you're, if you're a day trader, get ready for, uh, for, you know, locking up and down of COVID. But if you're prepared to pay the long game, which most of our shareholders have through this whole period, um, then we're going to continue to grow.
0: Well, I think you certainly do conform to my strategy. You buy quality companies when the market beats them up. One last thing, Dom, uh, Don, is tell me about any new food innovation that you might be bringing to the table.
5: The irony is in some of the countries we are, like Japan, uh, new products are are pretty exciting, but most of your audience being Australian, um, we're really more focused on execution right now because the volume is there. And one of the new platforms we've just introduced in Melbourne and we're rolling throughout Australia in the next two months is what we call car park delivery. So the company that delivers to your home and delivers to your office will now have a concierge service into the car park. Why is that so important? You get pickup prices with no extra charge, but we will put a zero contact process so that we'll deliver that safely into the boot of your car, or onto your back seat. You don't, you know, if you've got your kids in the car or you feel the safety, look, I feel safe at home. I feel safe in my car. I don't feel as safe when I get outside in the environment. Well, we'll safely deliver that into your vehicle as a concierge service. So okay. we call that car park delivery. Um, and we think it's going to fill a bit of the gap, especially when we are in lockdowns like in Melbourne,
0: right? Okay, well, D- Don, I have to confess, I'm not a great orderer of pizza, but I went to my son's place not long ago and he did. And the one thing he complained about was the guy who'd carried the pizza, obviously carried it vertically rather than flat. If you go and pick it up, you can lay it flat in your boot and there'll be no cheese sliding along the
5: way. Yeah, and and you know what? Join the one in two Australians who do buy Domino's pizza. So uh, you <laughs> know we now we literally one in two Australians. We that's that's the market share we have. But yeah. such an opportunity ahead, and, and things like this, yes, do help contribute to improve that upside down pizza all that wrong angle. Okay. <laughs> Don Mo, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, Peter.
0: Up next is the MD of Coca-Cola Amatil, Alison Watkins, and she shares with us her crystal ball with her company trying to deal with a world challenge by the coronavirus. The analysts think the company has a 5.4% upside. Well, joining me now is the CEO of Coca-Cola Amatil, Alison Watkins. Alison, thanks for joining us. That's a pleasure, Peter. Well, you know, I don't want to dwell on the past too much. I want to dwell more on the future because the people watching this program can read the past, net profit was down 35% uh, to $112 million. Um, it, looking at the, 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 the six months g- you know, going forward, which you, you'll be reporting in February, are things going to get better for you or will they remain pretty challenging?
6: Well, I think we're optimistic and we're optimistic because we've seen some you know, good signs of recovery in July and August. And really it's a, our business is a function of where people are moving. So if people are out and about and traveling around, um, then they're out buying a Coke or one of our other beverages, that's good for us. Um, so it really is a function of, um, of the measures that are in place and also how consumers are feeling, that's for sure.
0: One of the reports that quite shocked me, uh, which quoted you, Alison, and, a, and I know you're not a person who likes to shock, so you, you must have thought this was the case, you made the point that a lot of people will lose their jobs and that's why you wanted job seeker to be permanently increased. Is that your, your view on the next six months that
6: a lot of people will lose their jobs? Uh, look, there's no question. I think we're in, a di- in for a difficult time. There's a level of government support that is masking um, or deferring a fairly major adjustment um, that is inevitably going to happen. Um, these these restrictions and the slowdown in the economy are going to definitely play through to a lot of businesses, just not being able to get back on their feet again, unfortunately, and you know, we're going to have quite a protracted period, I think, of high unemployment and we all need to get behind that and and play our part in really trying to get the economy moving again. So, uh, yeah, I I think as soon as we start to see the the government support ease back, we'll we'll start to see that more starkly.
0: Mm. I was running through some of the numbers of um, your products that did well or didn't do well and I noticed that, you know, Coke, no, no sugar meant that your overall Coke sales went only down 0.7%. Water was down 20.1%. Uh, uh, coffee was even down 8.9%. Frozen products down 18%. And uh, alcohol was up. Now I understand why alcohol was up because people locked up at home have been drinking more. But I was wondering whether that the fact that, and I've mentioned this a couple of times on on Sky News and also 2GB that. This whole coronavirus has made me think about two economies I've never thought of before: the CBD economy and the suburban economies. And I thought, well, have you been affected by the fact that because people aren't going to work in offices like they used to, they're not buying flavored milks, they're not buying bottled water, they can drink their water at home? Have you guys
6: seen that and thought that? Definitely, Peter. it's amazing that the, the degree of shifts that are going on are, mm. are quite astounding. So, we've seen CBD outlets down, you know, 50% of that order, 40, 50%, and in New South Wales, very slow to get people back into CBD. So, CBD is still well down. Um, suburban locations, regional locations, on the other hand, doing very well. Familiar brand's doing really well. So, yes, absolutely brand coca Cola is doing really well. Um, Jim Beam's doing really well. Monster Energy's doing really well. Um, no Sugar as a theme is doing really well as mm-hmm. consumers look for um, healthier brands. And I think what we've seen, we have seen growth in spirits, particularly through June, July, August. I would put that down to people entertaining at home more than... Yeah. Um, you know, necessarily indicating any kind of problem because we really saw it take off once those restrictions on the size of gatherings you could have at home were eased back. So what we've seen is a real trend to people um, being at home, entertaining at home, um, exercising at home. And so there's a lot of opportunities for growth um, if we can really get a lot more nuanced about the the at-home occasion and and be there and support people Mm -hmm. with that. But when
0: I went through those numbers, I I thought to myself, you probably said to to yourself, gee, I wish I'd gone longer alcohol.
6: We're very Uh. happy with our alcohol portfolio. (laughs) Thanks very much, Peter. Um, But we're glad to see it doing well, for sure.
0: Okay, okay. I couldn't help teasing you on that one, Alison. All right, let's move to uh, outside Australia. What's happening to your business outside Australia because of the coronavirus?
6: Well, it's, it's really we've got on one extreme um, New Zealand, which has been doing exceptionally well, um, very severe lockdown back in April, early May, and then um, a fast bounce back uh, late May, June um, and onwards, you know, they've, they've really been doing very well. They've got some restrictions back in place now as they manage a current outbreak, but I think overall that business is in really good shape. Indonesia, um, we're seeing the pandemic still playing through, so daily infections haven't yet peaked in Indonesia. So it's still, from a health point of view, a place where consumers understandably have been very cautious and staying at home a lot, not tending to go to their workplaces or being out and about or public transport the way they normally would. So That's having a big impact on the market in Indonesia and it'll have a big impact on the economy for some time, unfortunately. So we're really focusing on affordable offerings and making sure that um, we've got the right at-home offerings. That's absolutely where the growth will be in Indonesia.
0: Okay, let's come back home again and, you know, your beloved state, Victoria, in lockdown. Um, it, It clearly would be a significant contributor to your bottom line. How much do you think... Your overall profit will be affected by the fact that Victoria has to go back into lockdown.
6: It's a setback. There's no doubt about that. Um, and we really feel for um, all of the customers um, and and all of the Victorians who are impacted by this. I think what what worries me is um, whether some of those cafes who got through the first time round um, will have the um, the financial strength and the, the, the mental strength to be able to bounce back after this setback. The good news is, though, we're going into summer. And so I think that's a good time. And I think it's also a time when everyone's going to want to support all of those wonderful bars and restaurants and cafes that are so much a heart the heart of Melbourne um, to, to, to get back. So, I'm really hopeful. Um, the numbers are coming down quickly. So as soon as we can ease those restrictions and people can get moving again, and as we head into summer, um, I, I think we will, we will manage the impact for us. Christmas, December is a massive month. So mm. if we're all set to go and in good shape, then um, that can make up for a lot. Okay,
0: one last one, because this, this is a national issue that has implications for your business and lots of business around the country. Are you hoping that the, the states that have closed borders um, will consider the, the relative success that New South Wales is having in basically seeking and destroying and containing the coronavirus? And as a consequence, we see open borders ASAP?
6: I really I really hope that's right. I think it's very important. I mean, I think this targeted approach, and we're seeing um, the Queensland government applying that right now, that's where we've got to get to is, is fast identification, um, tracing and isolating uh, people who've either got the virus or have been exposed to it. If we can do that with very fast cycle times, then we can be very targeted in the areas that we lock down. And that's absolutely critical and really um, state boundaries should be neither here nor there um, as we developed a more nuanced approach to this kind of rolling lockdown cycle that I think we're going to have to learn to live with.
0: Mm. Well, one last question, um, Alison, and it's not going to be an easy one, but all my viewers want to know, do you reckon the dividend will increase next time you speak to us?
6: <laughs> I wish I had a crystal ball. I think our shareholders know um, that that we understand they value the dividend. That's a high payout ratio has been a feature of Coca-Cola Amatil, and we're pretty keen to get back there as soon as we can. Alison Watkins, thanks for joining us. Thanks very much, Peter.
0: And next we have the CFO of BHP, Peter Bevan. After watching this interview, you'll see why this company has done so well. The analysts think the company has a 3% upside. So I'm talking to the CFO of BHP just after their report. And um, I, I guess you'd have to say, considering the, the kind of environment they've been working in, quite an extraordinary performance. Welcome, Peter.
7: Thanks, thanks, Peter. Great to be back.
0: Okay, so everything seems to be a little bit down except debt, attributable uh, profit, basic earnings per share, the mm. dividend, net operating cash flow, but basic underlying EPS is up. Why don't mm. you give us a, a CFO-type explanation of what's going on here?
7: Well, I think what's going on here is that, you know, I think the organization, as you say, in the midst of some absolutely unprecedented changes and so on, really stood up. Um, I think the things that we controlled went really well. We reduced our unit cost by 9% across the board in the year. And that is on top of a whole bunch of reductions we've made in previous years. And we produced, you know, uh, you know, again, very strong uh, production results across again across the board. So those things you put those things together, we produce twenty-two billion dollars of EBITDA, and those we continue to invest in the company. We put seven, seven and a half, seven six, seven point six billion dollars to to work because we need to look after the future, and we still made eight billion dollars of of free cash flow. So great news out of all of that is that you know strong balance sheet right at the bottom of our, our net debt range, continue to invest in the company, still stacks left over for shareholders. So we, we declared, again, a nice, good, strong dividend today. It's the third year in a row that we have declared more than $6 billion US cash returns to shareholders out of, out of ordinary dividends. So, you know, really great. Super happy with that.
0: So the dividend's down a little bit. Uh, is that because you're, you're storing up for the uncertain future?
7: Yeah, I think, you know, I think we were down, you know, the, share, the, the dividend was 65 at the interim, 55 this go. I still, you know, it's almost $3 billion worth of dividends, so it's pretty good. I'd say, you know, look, it is a, an uncertain world, um, and, you know, COVID is, is is not done by any stretch of the imagination. Surely it feels like we, the world has come out of the worst of it. But as we know, as we, you and I live in Victoria and we know what the impacts of second, third waves and so on, we've got to be a bit, uns- you know, we just got to be cognizant about that. Look, the way our dividend works, every six months, we, we start afresh we make a new decision. And in six months' time, we'll know some more. And as I say, I think our track record has been reasonable about getting mm. uh, returns to shareholders. Company's in good shape, and uh, I think you know we look forward to another strong six months.
0: Okay, so you you made the point that your unit costs are down. Um, um, talk, talks about the sales that have have gone on, uh, sure, com- sure. you yeah, know, compared year on year.
7: So I think, you know, we, we we continue to sell everything we produce, notwithstanding the fact that the rest of the world really struggled when COVID hit home and so on. And in particular, the very important markets that we normally traditionally sell into, which are Japan, Korea, Taiwan, obviously Europe, obviously the US and so on. And so, but China went in first, but it came out in a, in a rush. So it came in... An, It was a very steep V. And so, you know, really, I think this has been the the story of the last few months has been weakness in the rest of the world, but real strength in China as they come back out of this thing. And because, again, because of the nature of our our asset set, which is diversified, very low cost, some of the heavy lifting was done in the last few months by iron ore and and less so with, with oil prices being down, coal prices and copper and so on. But that's again the nature of this thing. It all balances back out to an excellent return, you know, and, and numbers for shareholders.
0: Okay. Yeah. Well, I know this is a hard question, but you're the kind of guy who has to answer this kind of question. The outlook for the price of iron ore been great mm-hmm. this year, better than what I think most of us expected. Totally. Um, for 2021, are you kind of thinking that you know China will keep on buying, and there will eventually be a global recovery? Therefore, the iron ore price remains at good levels. Yeah, I think,
7: Peter, I think there's two things that have really strengthened the, the iron ore price of the last few few months and so on. The One is obviously China and in its, in it's huge a you know, bounce out of the, the COVID thing. We think that will continue to be the case. We will hopefully be able to see a little bit more iron ore demand across the world because it's not just a China story uh, from the rest of the world as it comes, comes back to life post-COVID and so on. Probably a little less, uh, probably more impact on coal. From that than it is on iron ore, but the other thing that has been driving iron ore has been weakness in in the supplier base. At initially, some some part of our competitors in in, in Western Australia, our, our, our business ran really really well, but I suppose the real story on the supply side has been the weakness out of Brazil, and that was. Weakness because of the dam failure in Brumadinho that that, uh, that Vale had, plus COVID has been a big issue, very big, continues to be a very big issue in Brazil. So you put those things together, meant there was less less tons in the market from a very strong competitor, and at the same time demand was going all right, getting off. Now, just say demand will probably continue to be strong, but those tons will start to come back into the market from from Brazil, and in addition there's lots of t- iron ore tons that just pop out of the woodwork from everywhere else because of the strength of the price. So, you know, probably it's gonna moderate from here, i say.
0: Okay. Um, on, on the subject of um, the um, China economic recovery, uh, this, you know, ob- obviously it's not easy for a company to work out what a cu- country's gonna do. Yeah. But are, are you expecting the growth to pick up? Because the numbers are still low for China in terms of mm. historical growth numbers. Mm. Are you expecting them to ramp up over 2021?
7: I think, again, a bit of, you, see, you think about that economy in two parts, I suppose. you know. So you have the investment part and you have the consumption part. Really what has been driving the economy in the recent months has been the investment part. And so you've seen very strong numbers out of construction, some good, strong numbers out of manufacturing and machinery and infrastructure, which is another big part of it. As the government puts its uh, dollars to work uh, to, to stimulate the economy and, of course, invest for the future and so on. The piece that has is lagged a little bit in China is the consumption side. Still uncertainty in the minds of the consumer and so on. And so there has to be a little bit of catch up, I think, still from, from that to, to continue to rebalance that economy. Look, put that aside. We, as I say we still very we continue to be as we've been for many years, big believers in, in, the, in the ability of the Chinese economy to continue to grow and do and I think the other thing I'd say also is recall in the, in the GFC. They had the similar sort of thing. China came out of that and they just threw everything at it right? and they, had, and, and they ended up with a whole bunch of investment which was in their minds, really it was quite wasteful in certain respects. And this time, I think they've learned the lessons out of that. They've been very explicit about that. And so we think that the money that they have used to stimulate their economy is better placed and is more sustainable, I think.
0: Hmm. Your CEO has talked about uh, the company exiting uh, thermal coal. Um, yep. now, I guess in many ways it's a, it's a bit of an, an advertisement for anyone out there who wants to buy, buy it off. Uh, yeah, absolutely it is. Yeah, but, you're, but, but you're the CFO like uh, how much do you lose and can you make up that loss in terms of the bottom line
7: ah honestly Peter, you know this is this is a tiny tiny part of our portfolio this is three percent of our, our uh, of our net asset base you know so it really is a rounding error you know in our business it is exactly as you say it's there is there is a strategic element to this this is this is a Commodity, we're not really going to put money into, and so given it's such a small thing, let's let's give it to somebody else to to have a crack. Probably better value for shareholders. And you're right, you know, we don't have all the eyes dotted and the t's crossed on this one, so probably you know it is something. We've given ourselves a couple of years to 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 execute, and it's a good advertisement for anybody else who's got a good idea. Why not? Okay.
0: Well, I I know you you studied economics because you're a CFO and I taught economics, but I never taught pandemics 101. When, 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 when the pandemic hit your company and you had to come up with the, the game plan, uh, sure. which seemingly has you know worked in terms of the numbers, sure. how, how hard was it to make sure you could get all these people, men and women, digging stuff out of the ground, getting in on the, on the trucks or trains yep. in, in the boats and into your customers' warehouses or silos or whatever it might be? How, how hard was that?
7: Yeah, I think, you know, I think, Peter, there's a couple of two elements of it. one was easier, which is, you know, how do we think about the balance sheet and as a company and good financial you know, shape and all the rest of it, because we we think about downturns from whatever source as a day to day thing. We're a, we're a resources company. we used to cycles and we're used to shocks from whether it's a GFC or it's a pandemic. It doesn't sort of matter. The impact is the same. So that piece was, believe it or not, relatively calm. We had a balance sheet, we knew what it was going to happen, and we planned for it and, it, and it cooked. The other part was something completely different. Now, how do you get a whole bunch of people to, in the midst of this huge uncertainty in their own lives, because their families are, at, are, are part of this themselves, and you ask people to stand up and say, okay, now we, this is where we're at, we've got to be this, and, and I, I hear the concerns, well, we're going to keep you safe at work, and we're going to ask a bunch of you, because a bunch of people live interstate, for instance. And we're going to ask you to change your rosters. In fact, we're going to cha- ask you to change where you live for a period mm-hmm. of time, so that you can, you, so we can continue to 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 make this the organisation continue to function. Our people absolutely responded. We had a thousand people over the course of a weekend. Recall when they they shut the borders and so on. In a state that sort of came, I wouldn't say out of the blue, but it, we didn't have nobody had a lot of notice, and we asked people to relocate. One thousand people relocated in the course of a weekend into state to continue to 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 go to work. And you say, well, how does that happen? Well, of course, it's the caliber of the people that we have, but really, what it was is that the sense of okay, this whole country is in this issue. And there are some essential parts of this this company this country that need to work such as the health system and so on obvious things like that but also the resource sector we are such a big contributor to the economy of this country to the taxes of this country to the communities that we we that, that that we work with and so on and people said well it's it's a it's like a duty to go and do this and we had everybody more or less across the world not just in australia have that attitude and come and, and deliver and you know it's uh you know it's, i mean i'm very proud to work for this company and i have been for many years but you know at that point you really know it's something special it's it's a big deal yeah so anyway good good for that
0: yeah peter thanks for joining us i hope you get freed from your lock-up situation asap so do
7: i so do i absolutely thanks very much for the time thanks peter
0: Finally, Paul Rickard looks at the market darling, A2 Milk, which the analysts believe is about 6% too pricey. Paul?
8: Look, I really like the uh, A2 Milk report, Peter. I mean, look, it probably disappointed some of the analysts because uh, it sort of hit expectations, not much more. But when you see the numbers here, uh, earnings, profitability and revenue up about 33 and 34%, that's my type of company. Have a look at this chart and uh, that shows you the history over the last four years. You can see um, revenue up, uh, earnings up, and, of course, the return to shareholders, effectively, EPS up. I really like those sort of companies. Mark, perhaps, a little more concerned about uh, some of the so-called Chinese risk, uh, again, because uh, A2 does have a fair chunk of its sales coming out of China, but I'm a little bit less concerned. It is a New Zealand company. That might actually work for it if there's any sort of uh, continuation of the... Uh, of the dispute that we've seen affecting things like the wine industry. Uh, also a bit of a concern perhaps around whether their R margin next year uh, a little bit lower than perhaps this year, suggesting higher costs. But look, I think this is a company doing the right things. I think you back track record and if you get a bit more of a sell-off in, uh, in this company's shares uh, this is one to buy. One to put in the watch portfolio. In a sell-off, a good company to uh, back for long term.
0: That's the show for this week. If you want to read about my take on Tyro, BHP, Coles and Dinos, take a 21-day free trial to The Switzer Report. Just go to switzerreport.com.au. I'm Peter Switzer. Thanks for joining me. I'll see you next week.